Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Sir Mac. I'm your boy Chris. And we're back again. We are back. With another Tales from the Kicks. Yes. And um Let's get into the kicks. What do we got? We have the Air Force Ones. Mm-hmm. Popcorn joints. Yeah. Yeah. That's the reason for the golden popcorn nugget, my boy. Okay. You see the stripes? You yeah. see the stripes in that popcorn oh, bucket? The popcorn yeah. bags, yeah, the old school ones. Yeah. I fuck with it. Yeah. And then I on the side, they put the um, fresh since '82. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see you. I see you. Then you know they got definitely the little, see you. Little gold accents on the goddamn shoelaces and shit. I do love popcorn. I ain't gonna lie. No, popcorn fire. If you, you just gotta be the right one. I'm not a big fan of it often because all them little shits be getting stuck in your teeth. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I like it in those those uh, those tins, like during Christmas and oh, shit. Oh yeah, those yeah, is good. I, I ain't gonna lie, those shit. is fire. I got the last one I got. It was like the white cheddar, and then the regular cheddar, and then like the extra butter or some shit like that. I like the caramel. Uh, I don't like caramel. What do you like? I like candy corn. <laughs> wow. Candy corn's not bad, but... I fucks with it. That's not like the first thing I think of to say when somebody says, what do you like? Candy corn. Okay. It's not... I mean, if I had to pick my... If I had to pick, like, my top candy, it wouldn't be candy corn. But it would definitely be in, like, the top five. It would be in your top five? It would be in my top five. Oh, you don't think so? Not mine. What's your... what? Okay, so then what is your... What's your top five candy? I don't eat candy like that. Mm. So... Okay. okay. Top three sweets then. My top three sweets? Um, Cheesecake off rip. Ugh. <laughs> I'm with this dude, man. This guy here don't Go like ahead. nothing. Go ahead. Um, then I'm going to have to go with... I like... um, What's the gummy bears? I couldn't think of the name. God damn. All right. I'll give you that. Who doesn't like gummy bears? I like gummy bears. Then I like sour candy. Like the sweet and sour shit. Mm-hmm. That should be... On point, like them crybabies and uh, what's them uh sugar strips or whatever the fuck they call it now? Sour heads. No, not I said strips, nigga. Not oh. a fucking sour head. I don't remember now. They right. had they had like a head and they had like the explosion coming off the head. Yeah, they used to have those, but I don't see those no more. But they got a um. They haven't had those in a very long time. <laughs> I haven't seen those in a, forever. Mm-hmm. Coming to a little plastic tray. Them shits was good. Mm-hmm. I fucked with that. But nah, you ain't seen the new joints? The little strips? The... Yeah, from Alamo Candy? Oh, motherfucker. Oh. God damn. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, I know what you're I know, about. but you guessing before I even explain it. Because you said the strips, so then I started thinking about the ones that come in a little clear package. Not a okay, but I'm thing. saying you thinking the secondhand shit, original motherfucker. That was the okay. Oh, the Alamo candy had it had it originally. 
That's what you gonna sit here and tell me? I believe so. They make their own. No, they don't. They make they make their own now with the Lucas on it. They don't make the fucking mm. they don't make the sour ones. They never made the sour ones. Okay. With just sugar on it. Okay. They took that from the mother people. <laughs> they took that shit from the other people, nigga. And then they was making they shit out of that. Alright. Why do you think everybody used to have it in a motherfucking plastic bag? Like you was getting a dime or something. Hey, that shit was real. That's how you know that shit was gonna taste good. Yeah, because it was homemade, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, these is the strips that I'm motherfucking talking about. I'm sorry. Okay, if you're on YouTube, I'm showing you. These are the motherfucking good strips. Fuck all that other shit. Them hoes is fire. But, yeah. You don't remember the old school joints, though? I remember the yeah. old school ones, yeah. But not the ones that came in a fucking bag. The ones that came in an actual package. Yeah. Because they, they was, was like long. the... Yeah, they was like yeah. the power... They was like the other straw shits, but they was just flat. Mm -hmm. Them joints was fire. I remember those. Them joints was fire, but I don't know. They came out with these new ones. These joints is crazy. They got one called Cotton Candy. Mm. I was fucking that shit up. <laughs> I ain't even gonna lie. Man, I tore that whole bag up. I was at work hungry than a motherfucker. Start snacking on them shits. That shit was over with. He said that shit, he said that shit was over with. It didn't survive. <laughs> I went in the bag looking for more. It wasn't nothing there. You mm -mm. went looking for it all. I had to just pour the sugar in my mouth. <laughs> That's all that was left. What the fuck? <laughs> Are you okay? Sometimes. <laughs> Other times I'm craving something. Alright. <laughs> Alright. So, uh, enough of that nonsense. Uh, tell us about the pops you brought out. So, along with the fresh pair of popcorn cakes, we have two Jokers. Not one, but two. Two of them. One 8-bit and one Blacklight. Because, you know, around here, we don't do nothing normal. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're rolling with Joker today because he's particularly mysterious. You know, with all the studying people have done on him, they can't figure him out. He has no more no morality. <laughs> he has no normalities. Why is that so hard to say? <laughs> He's not normal, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> you can never figure out what the fuck he gonna do next. Dun, dun, dun. One minute he goes under the water. Next minute he's in a helicopter. You don't know what's gonna happen next with this guy. I guess you could say it's like a like a plot twist to everything he does. Yes. That's exactly what it is. Mm. Everything he does has a plot twist. You think he's doing it for one reason? He's mm. not. You think he's doing it for that reason? He's not. You think he's gonna be over there? He's not. You check four or five places. He's in the eighth. Waiting on you. To get there, it's crazy. Even when he gets locked up, he's like, "I wanted to get locked up. Why wouldn't I want to be with my friends? Like, what the fuck is wrong with him?" So yeah, we brought this. We brought this because 
ties into our tale today that Sir Kush will be presenting. All right. I love it. I love the whole plot twist. I like how everything's making your brain work, you know what I mean? And that brings us to Lizzie Andrew Borden. What? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> Edit. <laughs> <laughs> Lizzie Andrew Borden, she was born July 19th, 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts to Sarah Anthony Borden and Andrew Jackson Borden. Mm -hmm. Her father was of English and Welsh descent, grew up in a very modest surroundings and struggled financially as a young man despite being the descendant of wealthy and influential local residents. Andrew eventually prospered in the manufacturing sale of furniture and caskets, then became a sales property developer, which estimated his whole estate at three hundred thousand. But in today's like in today's time, it's at nine thousand or nine million six hundred thousand. Yeah, nine million six hundred thirty thirty thousand. Damn. So he was up there. But, like, even though he had all this money, but, like, they still didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't have no indoor plumbing. Well, you said it was the 1800s, though, right? 1860. Yeah. That is crazy, yeah? Yeah. That is true. Now, uh, as a young woman, Lizzie, she was very involved in church activities, and uh, she even taught Sunday school to children of recent immigrants to the United States. Nice. Yeah, she was involved in religious organizations such as Christian Endeavor Society, for which she served as a secretary treasurer and contemporary social movements such as the Women's Christian Temperance Union. So she was she was she was a pretty good role model. She was a good role model from what it sounds like. Three years after the death of Lizzie's mother, Sarah, Andrew married Abby Durfee Gray. Lizzie stated that she called her stepmother, Mrs. Borden, and demurred on whether they had a cordial relationship, but she believed that Abby had married her father for his wealth. Damn. Well, damn. (laughs) Gold digging. uh, Bridget Sullivan, whom they called Maggie, the Borden's 25-year-old live-in maid who had immigrated to the U.S. from Ireland testified that Lizzie and Emma rarely ate meals with their parents. In May 1892, Andrew killed multiple pigeons in his barn with a hatchet, believing they were attracting local children to hunt them. No, wait. Is them not eating meals with the family a big deal? Uh, They're just disassociative from from them. Like, they don't really associate... Uh, eating with their family. It doesn't really say. <laughs> what? Edit. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that nigga said all that just to say it doesn't really say. <laughs> but I'm saying because whatever. <laughs> I ain't even. I ain't even gonna fucking. <laughs> 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 that is. 
Lizzie had recently built a roost for the pigeons, and it has been commonly encountered, recounted that she was upset over his killing of them. You said a roof? Yes, a roost. A roost. Oh. Like a, like a hen house. <laughs> I thought you said a roof. I was like, you bought a roof? Mm-mm. A family argument in July of 1892 prompted both sisters to take extended vacations in New Bedford. After returning to Fall River a week before the murders, Lizzie chose to stay in a local rooming house for four days before returning to the family residence. The tension had been growing with the Borden family in the months before the murders, especially over Andrew's gifts of real estate to various branches of Abby's family. After their stepmother's sister received a house, the sisters demanded and received a rental property, which they per- which they purchased from their father for one dollar. Oh shit! A few weeks before the murders, they sold the property back to their father for five thousand. Which is equivalent to 151,000. Um, this time, what the or this fuck? this this year, the night before the murders, John Vinicom Morse, the brother of Lizzie, and Emma's deceased mother visited and was invited to stay for a few days to discuss business matters with his brother-in-law Andrew. Some people have um some people have speculated their conversations like they kind of took a guess of what they were talking about and a lot of people often came up with you know the particular they're talking about property transfer because it would make sense because everybody everybody's getting a house and a rental and shit you know what I mean now August 4th 1892 John Morris arrived in the evening of August 3rd and slept in the guest room that night after breakfast the next morning, at which Andrew, Abby, Lizzie, John, and the Borden's maid, Bridget Maggie Sullivan, were present, Andrew and John went to the sitting room, where they chatted for nearly an hour. Morse left around 8.48 a.m. to buy a pair of oxen and visit his niece in Fall River, planning to return to the Borden home for lunch at noon. Andrew left walking sometime after 9 a.m. Although the although the cleaning of the guest room was one of Lizzie's and Emma's regular chores, Abby went upstairs sometime between 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. to make the bed. According to the forensic investigation, Abby was facing her killer at the time of the attack. She was first struck on the side of the head with a hatchet, which cut her just above her ear, causing her to turn and fall face down on the floor, creating contusions on her nose and forehead. Damn. Her killer then struck her multiple times, delivering 17 more direct hits to the back of her head. Holy shit. Killing her, obviously. When Andrew returned around 10.30 a.m., his key failed to open the door, so he knocked. Sullivan went to unlock the door, finding it jammed, well, and like she like, she uttered a curse. <laughs> oh, so she cussed at the door. Yeah, she's like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she would later testify that she heard Lizzie laughing immediately after this, but she did not see Lizzie. Stated that the laughter was coming from the top of the stairs. 
this was considered significant as Abby was already dead by the time by this time and her body would have been visible to anyone on the home's second floor. Lizzie later denied being upstairs and testified that her father had asked her where Abby was, to which she replied that a messenger had delivered Abby a summons to visit a sick friend. Okay. Mm -hmm. Lizzie stated that she had then removed Andrew's boots and helped him into his slippers before he laid down on the sofa for a nap. She then informed Sullivan of a department store sale and offered her permission to attend, but Sullivan felt unwell and went to take a nap in her bedroom instead. Uh, Sullivan testified that she was, she was in her third floor room resting from cleaning windows when just before 11 a.m. she heard Lizzie call from downstairs, Maggie, come quick, father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. That's a lot. That's a lot to say. Andrew was slumped on the couch and the downstairs sitting room struck 10 or 11 times with a hatchet-like weapon. One of his eyes had been split cleanly in two, suggesting fuck? that he had been asleep when he was attacked. His still bleeding wounds suggested a very recent attack. Dr. Bowen, the family physicians, arrived from his home across the street and pronounced both victims dead. Detective estimated that Andrew's death had occurred around 11 a.m. Lizzie Burden's initial... Wait, wait, wait. So both of those events happened on the same night? Mm-hmm. What the fuck? That's, That's crazy, wild. right? Was that It was at the same house? Yeah. I'm confused. That's exactly, exactly. That's why it says it's gonna be. It, it, it's weird. Because remember, like everybody was, everybody had left and went and did their own thing. You know what I mean? No, I get that. It is just who, who two people are saying somebody was. Well, one person is saying that they was inside. Mm-hmm. And another person is saying that they know somebody else was inside and they heard them laugh. Mm-hmm. And I'm confused as how is people popping up dead and you got somebody at the door, somebody, and two people inside. That's why, that's what, that, I'm about to answer your question. Lizzie Burden's initial answers to the police officer's questions were at a time strange and contradictory. Initially, she reported hearing a groan or a scraping noise or a distress call before entering the house. Two hours later, she told police she had heard nothing and entered the house not really realizing that anything was wrong. When asked where her stepmother was, she recounted Abby receiving a note asking her to visit a sick friend. Lizzie Burden killed her father and her stepmom in the same house. There was no, apparently there was no witnesses because the person that was at the door mm -hmm. couldn't, uh, couldn't see in unless you were on the second floor, but nobody was on the second floor. So then we go to the third floor where the maid is and she's inside one of the rooms. So she doesn't hear or see anything either. Damn. Now you, you get hacked up 
you hack up two people and you, nobody heard it? Now, Lizzie Burden's initial answers to the police officer's questions were at times strange and contradictory. Initially, she reported hearing a groan or a scraping noise or a distress call before entering the house. Two hours later, she told police she had heard nothing and entered the house not realizing that anything was wrong. Uh, when asked where her stepmother was, she recounted Abby receiving, receiving a note asking her to visit a sick friend. She also stated that she thought Abby had returned and asked if someone could go upstairs and look for her. Sullivan and a neighbor, Miss Churchill, were halfway up the stairs, their eyes level with the floor, when they looked into the guest room and saw Abby, Abby laying face down on the floor. So now we have now we have we have two people coming in that are like that have, see the body now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Most of the officers who interviewed Borden reported that they disliked her attitude. Some said she was too calm and poised. Um, poised. <laughs> That's a funny word. <laughs> it is too calm and poised. Like, all right, whatever. Just <laughs> it is a funny word. Thank you. It's thank awkward you. that you'll call somebody poised, but exactly. Despite her attitude and changing alibis, nobody bothered. Uh, bothered. Nobody bothered to check her for any blood stains. What? Exactly. Like, wouldn't you think, like, oh, okay, well, she's the person that found him. You know but what I'm saying? But not only like, that, I would think it would be pretty obvious with the given weapons. Mm-hmm. Police did search her room, but it was a cursory inspection. At the trial, they admitted to not doing a proper search because Borden was not feeling well. They were subsequently criticized for their lack of diligence in the basement police found two hatchets two axes and a hatchet head with a broken handle of course the hatchet head was suspected of being the murder weapon as the break in the handle appeared fresh and the ash and dust on the head unlike that on the other bladed tools that were in the garage or in the basement and i just want to say mm -hmm. real quick um I believe the police were on her as soon as she said that she had left the house for two hours and mm -hmm. then found them because apparently when they got there, they were still bleeding. It was fresh, so her timeline didn't add up. Yeah, because already it didn't mm -hmm. add up from the time they got there to what she said. Mm -hmm. Now, regardless that they're down there, none of these tools that were there that collected the proper amount of ash and dust, none of them were removed from the house. So, where did the axes and shit come from? Say that again. All right. None of the axes from the house. No, like it says, I'm going to read, I'm going to read the sentence. The hatchet head was suspected of being the murder weapon as the break in the handle appeared fresh and the ash and dust on the head. Unlike that on the other bladed tools appeared to have been deliberately applied to make it look as if it had been there for some time. However, none of these tools were removed from the house. 
So she wouldn't got new ones. Mm-hmm. Because of the mysterious illness that had stricken the household before the murders, the family's milk and Andrew's and Abby's stomachs were tested for poison. So during the, um, what do you call it? During the autopsy, they took their fucking stomach out. But I mean, that's, I guess that's the way you got to do it, a test for poison, you know what I mean? They took the entire stomach out? They took the entire stomach out. They did all that to find none. Residents suspected Lizzie of purchasing hydrocyanic acid in a diluted form from the uh, from the drugstore. She, she defended that she inquired about the acid so she can clean her furs despite the local medical examiner's testimony that it did not have antiseptic properties. Damn. Lizzie and Emma's friend Alice Russell decided to stay with them the night following the murders while Moore spent the night in the attic guest room. Police were stationed around the house on the night of August 4th, during which an officer said he had seen Borden enter the cellar with Russell, carrying a kerosene lamp and a slot pail. He stated he saw both women exit the cellar, after which Borden returned to alone. Though he was not, un- he was unable to see what she was doing. He stated it appears she was bent over the sink. On August fifth, Morse left the house and was mobbed by hundreds of people. Police had to escort him back to the house. On August sixth, uh, police conducted a more thorough search of the house, inspecting the sisters' clothing and confiscating the broken handle hatchet head. That evening, a police officer and the mayor visited the Bordens, and Lizzie was informed that she was a suspect in the murders. The next morning, Russell entered the kitchen to find Borden tearing up a dress. She explained that she was planning to put it on the uh, put it on the fire because it was covered in paint, but it was never determined whether it was the dress she had been wearing on the day of the murders. Wow. <laughs> I'm telling you. So she really got away with burning the dr- I thought they went to go fucking search the house. Exactly. Borden appeared at the uh, inquest hearing on August 8th. Her request to have her family attorney present was, was refused under a state statute providing that an inquest must be held in private. She had been, uh, she had been described, prescribed regular doses of morphine to calm her nerves and it is possible that her testimony was affected by this. Her behavior was erratic, and she often refused to answer a question, even if the answer would be beneficial to her. She often contradicted herself and provided alternate accounts of the morning in question, such as saying she was in the kitchen reading a magazine when her father arrived home, then saying she was in the dining room doing some ironing, and then saying she was coming down the stairs. So she also says she removed her father's boots and put slippers on him, while police photograph- uh, photographs clearly showed him still wearing his boots. He's switching. She's switching that shit up hard. Like that shit's ridiculous. That's never Mm-mm. good. The district attorney was very aggressive and confrontational. On August 11th, Borden was served with a warrant of arrest and jailed. 
the inquest testimony, the basis for the modern debate regarding, regarding her guilt or innocence was later ruled inadmissible at her trial in June 1983. Wow. Contemporaneous newspaper articles noted that Borden possessed a solid demeanor and bit her lips flushed and bent toward attorney Adams. It was also reported that the testimony provided in the inquest had caused a change of opinion among her friends who have heretofore strongly maintained her innocence. The inquest received significant press attention nationwide, including an extensive three-page write-up in the Boston Globe. Damn. Mm-hmm. A grand jury began hearing evidence on November 7th, and Borden was indicted on December 2nd. Okay. Mm-hmm. Borden's trial took place in New Bedford starting on June 5th, 1893. Prosecuting attorneys were Hos Hosiant. They were defending uh they were they were good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, it's uh Osea, Knowlton, and future United States Supreme Court Justice William H. Moody. Defending were Andrew V. Jennings, Melvin O. Adams, and former Massachusetts Governor George D. Robinson. Robinson. <laughs> Robinson. We'll keep that one. Hit it the rest. <laughs> Five days before the trial's commencement on June 1st, another axe murder occurred in Fall River. This time, the victim was Bertha Manchester who was found hacked to death in her kitchen. Wow. The similarities between the Manchester and Borden's murders were striking and noted by jurors. However, Jose Correa de Mayo, a Portuguese immigrant, was later convicted of Manchester's murder in 1894 and was determined not to have been in the vicinity of Fall River at the time of the Borden murders. A prominent point of discussion in the trial was the hatchet head found in the basement, which was not convincingly demonstrated by the prosecution to be the murder weapon. Prosecutors argued that the killer had removed the handle because it would have been covered in blood. One officer tested that a hatchet handle was found near the hatchet head, but another officer con uh, contradicted this. Though no bloody clothing was found at the scene, Russell testified that on August 18, 1892, she had witnessed Borden burning a dress in the kitchen stove, saying it had to be ruined when she brushed. It had it had got ruined when she brushed against wet paint. Hmm. Mm-hmm. During. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I caught myself that time. During the course of the trial, defense never attempted to challenge the statement. I get that. That's wild. They felt like she was telling the truth so much. They're like, yeah, no, nah, we're not even going to try to challenge it. Yeah. Lizzie Burden's presence at the home was also a point of dispute during the trial. According to testimony, Sullivan entered the second floor of the home at around 10.58 a.m. and left Lizzie and her father downstairs. Lizzie told several people at this time she went into the barn it was not in the house for 20 minutes or possibly half an hour. Hyman Lubinsky testified for the defense that he saw Lizzie Borden 
leaving the barn at 11.03, and Charles Garner confirmed the time as well. Hmm. At 11.10 a.m., Lizzie called Sullivan downstairs, told her Andrew had been murdered, and ordered her not to enter the room. Instead, Borden sent her to get a doctor. Both victims' heads had been removed during the autopsy, and the skulls were admitted as evidence during the trial and presented on June 5th, 1983. Yeah, this is definitely the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Like, you just going to take the whole head <laughs> and present the skeleton in court? Mm-hmm. Upon seeing them in the courtroom, Borden fainted. Evidence was excluded that Borden had sought to purchase puracic acid. Puracic acid. That sounds like some shit from Jurassic Park. Evidence was excluded that Borden had sought to purchase puracic acid purposely for cleaning a sealskin cloak. Wow. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> oh, fuck. The judge ruled that the incident was too remote in time to have any connection. The presiding associate justice, Justin Dewey, delivered a lengthy summary that supported the defense as his charge to the jury before he was sent to deliberate on June 20th, 1993. God damn. After an hour and a half of deliberation, the jury acquitted Borden of the murders. Upon exiting the courthouse, she told reporters she was the happiest woman in the world. She got acquitted of the murders? Mm-hmm. She was the happiest woman. Okay. Now, there is a lot of speculations as to like why Huh? Like why like why she ended up snapping, you know. Some people were saying that she was in a fugue uh, like a fugue state. Other people were saying that uh it was physical and sexual abuse from the father. And um Ed McBain has a story actually on her has a whole book and it's called Lizzie. No, why? I don't like it's it's. I just want to know why she did it, or if she did it. What if she didn't do it? What make you think she didn't do it? Nothing. After the trial, the Borden sisters moved into a large modern house in the Hill neighborhood in Fall River. Around this time, Lizzie began using the name Lizbeth A. Borden. At their new house, which Lizbeth dumbed Maplecroft, they had a staff that included living maids, a housekeeper, and a coachman. Because Abby was ruled to have died before Andrew, her estate went first to Andrew, and then at his death passed to his daughters as part of his estate. A considerable settlement, however was paid to settle claims by Abby's family. So, that's, that's crazy. That's real shitty, but, I mean, that's crazy. Um, Burden was ill in her last year following the removal of her gallbladder. She died of pneumonia on June 1st, 1927 in Fall River. Funeral details were not published, and few attended. Uh, and only funeral details were not published, and few attended. Nine days later, Emma died from chronic nephritis at the age of seventy-six, 
in a nursing home in Newmarket, New Hampshire. Having moved to this location in 1923, both for health reasons and to avoid renewed attention following the publication of another book about the murders, the sisters, neither of whom had ever married, were buried side by side in the family plot in Oak Grove Cemetery. I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to go with the sisters did it. Um, Would you like to know how much she was worth when she died? How much? Equivalent to 2021, 5233000 Not bad. Mm-hmm. She left 30000 to the Fall River Animal Rescue League and 500 in trust for perpetual care of her father's grave. Her closest friend and cousin each received $6,000, substantial sums at the time of the estate's distribution in 1927, and numerous friends and family members each received between $1,000 and $5,000. Damn. And that is Lizzie Borden. thought that was your phone number. Edit. <laughs> right. And that is the case of Lizzie Borden. Did she do it? Was her sister in it, in on it with her? If they did do it, was it somebody else? I think it was the sisters. They took that secret to the fucking grave. That shit is crazy. Like, what if, what if they knew... What if they knew, like, hey, we have to kill Abby first. Because if we kill Abby first, her will and everything automatically goes straight to my dad. Mm-hmm. Right? And then we're going to kill my dad. Yep. That way all of that stuff that he just inherited is going to come to us. That's why they died alone together. <laughs> they died alone? Together. Well, they, they, they weren't married. They didn't have any kids. Damn, so his will, the will still passed on even though they wasn't married? Mm-hmm. What the fuck? No, Abby Abby and their father were married. The two sisters that inherited oh. their dad stuff never got married. They never have kids. You were talking about... I thought you was talking about the fucking parents. Oh, no, 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 no. It was the stepmom and the daddy. What? Edit. Um, it's quite quite a twist. This quite yeah. Twist. I mean, I believe that she did it. I don't think it's even I, a question. I believe the sisters did it. Well, nobody else placed though the sister there. But there were three axes, two regular axes and one with a broken handle. Didn't they say one of the axes? was different from all the other axes because none of the other axes had moved. Yeah. So you only need one fucking axe. If the sister had a roll, it was a small mm-hmm. roll. It was only one fucking axe. All right, fair enough. I get it. I get it. You can't have two people on the axe. That's that's going to be difficult. <laughs> maybe they wanted to do it together. They probably took turns, maybe. But 
That is one wild, wild, wild tale. Thank you, thank you. I thought it was pretty crazy, and I think there's a show on this too. I swear I've seen this name before. That's that's why that's why I was all like, I know people have heard this, but I don't know if they know her. And the fact that she got away with it because, just because, because of coincidence. It's not. There's. No, that's not no coincidence. You don't believe you don't, in coincidences. You don't buy the very tools you need for a person to die the same day a person mysteriously dies. But think those. Like she. She bought that acid to clean her dress that she got ink on. So like her. Who buys acid to clean a dress? She does because of the stains. Like people do that. Question two: Who paints in a dress? She said she got paint on the dress when she, like, brushed up against the wall. What wall? But I felt like that was probably a, a big-ass brain teaser. Or brain, brain like, uh, something's going to scramble your brain a little bit. Like, who did it? Like a mind fuck? Yeah. But, um... Mind blown. I don't, I don't feel that way. I feel like it... I feel the biggest question is who allowed the evidence to fall through and why didn't they push for it to be because they were in their pocket. I know. I understand that theory. Mm -hmm. However, that's not the way the court system was supposed to be done. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And if that was, if that is the case or was the case, I felt like that should have been investigated also. However, given the times, it clearly was not. I could see how it wasn't. However, what else I don't do think got? it's that big of a mystery on who done it mm-hmm. and why. Because at the time, everybody got to see why. Big, big payout. Exactly. So, I don't feel but. there's much of a mystery on who done it. It's just more so of maybe a why mm-hmm. well no I wouldn't say why because you know why I mean I know why and as in for the reward I mean mm-hmm. why is in the reasoning of taking your own father out why would you why like was the money worth it uh, I mean it was she was worth five million when she died so I mean I mean I understand that but goddamn, I don't want to carry none of my pants mm-hmm. for five million like what the fuck that's fucked up. That's not. That's not. Got to draw a line somewhere. Stand for something. I agree. I definitely agree, sir. I definitely agree. Well, appreciate that tell. Thank you. Thank Hopefully, you. the listeners enjoyed it, and you know, man, y'all need to follow us on the IG. Follow, follow us on TikTok. the TikTok. Follow us mm-hmm. on the uh, follow us on the YouTube YouTube on the YouTube and uh, follow us on all the podcasts wherever True. you get and your podcast. Look, we got we got our email in there too. Send us any any tales that you might have. Send mm-hmm. us. I know y'all listening, so I know oh, y'all gotta have some tales. It ain't it don't it don't take but no like five minutes to send an email. You can do it straight from your phone now. Well, I'll give you more than five minutes because. I want you to give us a tip. True. 
Okay. So take your time. Ten minutes. Listen, Fifteen minutes. You got us as long as you would like. We 20. just want to see an inbox. We just want to hear our email go ding at least once. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Come on, y'all. We fucking with y'all. So hopefully y'all fucking with us. And we trying to keep it going. Yeah, nothing but good vibes out here, you know what I'm saying? You know, trying to interact with y'all. Mm-hmm. Y'all treating us like y'all don't know us. Y'all don't like us? What's up with that? <laughs> I thought we was cool, homie. I thought we was kicking it. You was listening? He was listening. So you don't want to talk back? You don't want to talk back at all. How dare you? Hmm. Suspicious. Very, very suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Anyway. So, don't be suspicious. Hit it up. And uh, we'll get back at you. I am Sir Matt. I'm your boy, Kush. And these are the Air Force One. I love it. Popcorns, and that's the Joker. And 8-Bit, and that's the Joker. And glow in the dark. And we are out. Bye. Peace. Tales from the Key.